Blog Talk Radio. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This grave and ancient land to me. children can run free so take my hand and walk this land with me and walk There's our show for this past week was a celebration of Teruah. Uh, it's uh, interesting, of course, that even though it was a celebration of Teruah, if you pay attention to uh, what's going on in, in Israel, and uh, for that, I would recommend uh, the Jerusalem Post. Uh, you can read the Jerusalem Post online. Uh, it's my number one uh, go-to uh, newspaper far and away. I read it, uh, probably every article in the uh, Jerusalem Post. Uh, virtually every day. Uh, a reasonably uh, decent newspaper, actually, uh, but it gives us insights in the place that we care the most about. Uh, the uh, the country has been celebrating Rosh Hashanah. Everybody, secular Jews and um, religious Jews, all celebrating Rosh Hashanah, which is the head of the Babylonian New Year. And head of the New Year that's in the seventh month. That's correct. Well, yes, in the seventh month on Yahweh's calendar, but not on the Babylonian calendar. And it's, you just wonder, and I'm becoming far more judgmental the closer we get to uh, Yahweh's return. And I just wonder how disgusted God has to be to have his people, the people that he revealed himself to. The people he liberated from the crucibles of Mitzrayim. The people that he delivered the Torah to. The people that he established the covenant with. The people whom he spoke through as prophets. The people whose language he used to reveal himself to humankind. The people whose country he calls home. Those people. Jews, Yehudim, if they knew who the hell they were, but of course they don't. Yisrael. How in the hell is it 
with all of those advantages, Jews are celebrating a goddamn Babylonian New Year and treating their Babylonian Talmud as if it were scripture. No wonder they're dancing around in their black morning suits. They're the walking dead. I'm not being anti-Semitic. I love the name. Anti-Semitic would mean I'd be against the name. Shim mean the name. I love the name Yahweh, a name they never say. But God looking down on them must be absolutely disgusted with what his people have become. And that really is the purpose of what we do. The purpose of Teruah is to try to awaken uh, Israelites, Jews, so that they understand what it means to be a Yahud again. So that they can crawl away from their God-forsaken religion, come to recognize that Jew is from Yehud, which is a descendant of Yahud, the son of Leah and Jacob. Therefore, it is an ethnicity. To be Jewish is not to be religious. It's not to be converted to Judaism. You know, I was reading an article um, about the Taliban. Uh, the tribe, Pushkin tribe, from which the Taliban are all derived, is likely Jewish. They circumcised their Sons, on the eighth day, they uh, uh, observe most of the uh, rabbinical uh, kosher rules. Uh, they are um, uh, DNA-wise tied to uh, Jews. Uh, and for years, during the pre-Islamic era, they used to call themselves Beni Yisrael. And so I was reading this article, it says, you know, it's, uh, there's every evidence that uh, the Taliban, which announced, by the way, they want to form international relations with every country on earth except Israel, uh, that, the, uh, <laughs> that the Taliban are actually Jewish. And they said, you know, but what good is it going to do to tell them they're not going to convert to Judaism? God damn it, get out of your behinds. To be Jewish is not to practice Judaism. No wonder the world's confused. You've confused them. Jewish is an ethnicity. Judaism is a religion. They are different things. Any moron can choose to practice Judaism if they want to destroy their lives, live unproductively upset God they can do so but nobody can choose to be Jewish because it's an ethnicity you're either born into it or you're not I was watching um, the news these uh, past three or four days there was a prison break uh, in uh, Israel 
uh, six um, Pakistanian terrorists uh, escaped. They were all murderers. And there's a manhunt for them, but the manhunt is not going very well because the Palestinian Authority, which is the PLO, and Hamas are telling Muslims uh, that after their Friday prayers that they need to exhibit a day of rage, and a day of rage wasn't enough, so let's have another day of rage. And they are celebrating these murderers as heroes because in Islam it's considered heroic to kill a Jew. It's not a criminal act to kill a Jew in Islam. It's heroic. (laughs) And so these men are not criminals, not from their perspective, no. They're heroes. So how in the hell are you going to give that kind of mentality that thinks it's especially good to murder Jews... How are you going to give them a country right next to Israel? Wouldn't it be exactly like what happened? Well, far worse than what happened when America forced Israel to withdraw from Gaza and give the Gaza Strip to Hamas. Thank you, George Bush. Brilliant move, pal. Mm -hmm. The only difference would be because Gaza is not an independent state. They can't have a military, so they have a militia, so they have jihadists. Can you imagine what it would be like if it was a sovereign nation and they could bring in whatever kind of weaponry they wanted? Well, it would be just like Lebanon with Hezbollah, and they would have hundreds of thousands of rockets pointed at Israel. But as they riot, we are brought to the realization that here between Teruwa and Kaporam in 2021, exactly 20 years after we began this mission, because it began on a Teruwa in 2001, seven days after 9-11. September 18th was the day that Iowa asked me to engage. That... We have very little time left, and it's going to get exceedingly anti-Semitic, exceedingly harsh. And so if you are a Yahud, a Jew, it's time to listen. It's time to walk away from the religion that's brought you nothing but misery. It's time to walk away from the politics of Israel that are bankrupt. It's time to recognize that you can't make peace with Muslims. Their Quran orders them to hate you, to kill you. They will perpetrate genocide given the chance. And so this is reality. All right, we're going to return to Kara, um, called out <laughs> Leviticus 23, uh, 29. That was the passage we ended the program on uh, this time uh, last week. It reads as follows, truthfully. Any soul, kol ha-nefesh, any, every, all souls. A soul is an individual consciousness. It is the aspect of a 
person that is capable of being observant and responsive. It's the only part of us that actually transcends mortality to immortality. Truthfully, any soul, which by association, Asher, does not answer and respond. Lo, Anna, does not reply by making a declaration. It was written in the pool imperfect where the object, the nephish is both the subject and the object, uh, suffers the effect of continual non-responsiveness during this life-sustaining and essential estim day. This day happens to be Yom Kippurim, the day of reconciliations. That soul <coughs> will be cut off and either eliminated or separated, Karak, from being with its family, um, he. Now, as we look at, uh, at this uh, statement, uh, and we read Karath, which uh, tells us that there are multiple potential outcomes for those souls who do not answer and respond to Yahweh's invitation. Karat can mean cut off, either eliminated or separated. There's a huge difference between those two. So it says if you don't answer Yahweh's invitation on Yom Kippur, and there isn't a single religious or political Jew that is doing so, because they've turned this into a day of misery, of, of, of abasement, of abuse of their souls, of denial. Denial of reality is the truth. And any soul that doesn't answer Yahweh's invitation, not the rabbi's invitation, to celebrate not a day of deprivation, but a life-sustaining and essential day, and not a day of affliction, but a day to respond and answer, that soul will be karath, which is either to be cut off or to be eliminated and separated from being with um, he, the family, the nation, the people, the community, related to Ken. Now, should separation appear more appealing than ceasing to exist, then I would say that your perspective is likely corporeal rather than spiritual. And that's really the, uh, the nature of Judaism. It is a focus on the corporeal rather than the spiritual. Uh, they don't have it's a plan. The same thing with Christianity. Happened. Ask most yeah. Christians what their view of heaven is. It's mansions and streets of gold and all very physical stuff. Very That's physical why they're stuff. so in love with the idea of a bodily resurrection. Right. Oh, yeah. And uh, and the people up there have eyes and uh, and they're looking down and you know they um, that's that's the nature of the place physical bodily mm-hmm. resurrection not, not recognizing that that would be about the most counterproductive thing that could possibly happen. I mean, the, the great liberation, and the Hebrew word for, is translated salvation, to save, the primary meaning is to liberate. And the thing we're being delivered from is not only the world of religion, and of course politics, but also from the constraints of being a physical mortal being. And when we are liberated from that, we become like light. We become spiritual, energy-based beings. And that is infinitely superior because, well, as a mortal being, we are stuck in time. 
We can't, there's no way for a mortal being to ever maneuver in time. Stuck in the ordinary flow. As a physical being, we're stuck on, uh, on this rock we call Earth. Oh, we can go all the way to our moon and back, you know, once every 60 years or so, or once in, a, <laughs> in, in an eternity of time. But that's it. Physical beings cannot maneuver around the, the universe. The distances are too great, and we can't even approximate the speed of light, and you'd have to go much faster than the speed of light to maneuver. And so the answer is to be an energy-based being, because as light, while you're still only traveling at the uh, at 186,000 miles per second, you can't actually ascribe a speed to it, because while we're giving that reference as time elapsed here on Earth over that distance, as an energy-based being, you travel that distance in no time. So if you travel these, this vast distance, you, know, you can travel halfway to the nearest um, solar system, Alpha Centauri, in one second on a photon of light, and therefore in and two to three seconds uh, based on Earth time. But in, well, actually, light years, so that would be in, uh, in uh, not seconds, but uh, two years if you're traveling at the speed of light, I'm sorry. So at two years to three years. If you're actually on the photon of light, it wouldn't take the two or three years to go to our nearest, um, it's actually a binary system, because it would take no time at all. Because time doesn't move as it does on as as a physical being. One of the things that I came up with, and I think I shared it in the last program, uh, uh, Kirk and JB, was that you know I, I've made a big deal about uh, several things in the presentation of the micro. One we're going to get into tonight, which is that God is not telling us that we should not do any work work uh, with the malaka, but we should not do the <laughs> the work of our spiritual mother, the, uh, the feminine manifestation yeah. of, uh, of Yahweh's uh, uh, message. Uh, the other is that three times uh, during the Moed Mekre, Yahweh specifically asked us to approach uh, and specifically draw near to the Isha, which I always translate as the feminine manifestation of God's fiery light, which is designed to purify and, and enlighten, empower, and elevate so that we can approach Yahweh. And that is vastly different, of course, than all English translations, but Isha is the Hebrew word for fire. Yahweh represents himself as fire. And the only difference between Ish, how Yahweh represents himself on Horeb, and Isha is Isha's feminine. And one of the things I came up with, and it speaks to, to this, this the stupidity and counterproductive nature of being a physical being. One of the reasons that Yahweh uses this metaphor of fire is because fire is the result of transforming a physical organic object, like wood, into energy and light. 
And so fire is the very essence of the purpose of the Muad Mikre, which is to transfer, to evolve us from physical mortal beings to entities more akin to energy and light. And that's exactly what happens in a fire. That's the essence of what a fire is. It's transformative of physical organic material into energy. Helps to point out what God's trying to achieve and why that is vastly superior. So, if we've listened to Yahweh and we've accepted the conditions of the Bereth Covenant, we've responded and answered his invitations during the Mikre, our nefesh, our consciousness, enveloped in his Ruach, will ascend to Shamaim and live among the family of souls. Do you know that if you were to study, and which I've done, rabbinic Judaism, there's no concept of salvation. I'm shocked by that, too. Yeah, no, no concept of salvation. There's no, there's no way that a person can uh, either earn or be gifted a trip to Shamaim. That's not the purpose of rabbinic Judaism. purpose is to, uh, to live a righteous life, of course, by abusing women and, uh, and, um, and color men. Yeah, destroying the, uh, any hope of success that your sons and daughters may have and corrupting Yahweh's testimony so that uh, that if, uh, as, as they claim that they're Torah observant, they make being Torah observant look like a miserable ordeal. But there is no, uh, there is no means to heaven in rabbinic Judaism uh, because, of course, they're clueless as to the purpose of the covenant, benefits of the covenant. You never hear them speaking of it. And they're clueless as to what the purpose of each of the seven Moed Mikrayar. So there's no plan of salvation. Rabbis also deny Sheol. They say there's no such place as hell. <laughs> That's going to come as quite a shock to them. Because <laughs> they're all headed there. <laughs> and that is the second place that you can go. And that's what Karat is telling us. You can be separated from Yisrael or individuals who in, engage and endure with God. And the only place of separation is Sheol. And Sheol, while we're talking about you know, space and the distances and the like, mm-hmm. um, Sheol is virtually identical to a black hole. It is infinite in time and finite in all other dimensions. It is a lightless place from which nothing escapes. Crushing. So there'll be very little difference between Sheol and a black hole. And, you know, think of this too, that the individuals that are separated under Sheol are not going to be physical beings. They're, they're not, sorry, Allah, they're, they're not going to be hung by their breasts if they're women. Uh, they're not going to have uh, molten uh, pitch poured down their, uh, their throat. Sorry, Muhammad, you got that part wrong too. No, they don't have physical beings. These are souls. They're energy-based beings. And energy cannot escape a black hole either. 
And anything that's physical is going to be transformed in energy upon entering the black hole. So it is a shield is a prison, a lightless place of separation. That is a place where souls like those of the rabbis, those of pastors and priests, those who have misled in the name of God are going to spend their eternity. And of course, the third option, which is that they're going to cease to exist, which is uh, an aspect of Karah. That's the overwhelming preponderance of souls. They're not going to be punished. They're not going to be rewarded. They're at the end of their mortal existence, that, that upon their demise, they dissipate to nothingness. So, well, God is not going to make an exception for the... Well, he might for you, JB. I've lived a good life, uh, please. But fortunately, you've, uh, you've answered the terms and conditions of the covenant and the mikra, so your body won't have to uh, use that one. Uh, I have a good heart. It's not going to fly either. Is not being entirely uh, rigid in this uh, proposition. Uh, it's you know, straightforward. The actual verb here is ana. It was uh, conveyed in the imperfect conjugation. This means that the moment we stop being stupid by rebuffing Yahweh's invitation and choose to respond to his summons, hey, we're good to go. Option one is still in the offing. That's pretty cool. You know, I spent my youth being a uh, a twistian. Uh, twistian is the uh, is the formal and correct title of the of the religious because they've twisted everything God says. So we'll call them twistians, just like we have fake Palestinians, because there's no such thing as a Palestinian. But the moment you answer Yahweh's invitations, you're no longer um, subject to this indictment because it was written in the imperfect. It's one of the things that make being with God so daggone easy. <laughs> you, know, you can be stupid. I was for a very long time. And the moment you stop being stupid, God says, hey, it's all good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Yeah, thanks, Bob. It's a heck of a deal. Uh, I like it. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. What's to complain? What's to to complain about? You know, it's not written in the perfect. If it was written in the perfect, we'd be screwed blue tattooed. Everyone would be. Yeah, everybody would be. Perfect, everyone. What the difference, by the way, in the perfect and the imperfect, for those who don't know, most of you I'm sure know because we've talked about it so long. Um, the perfect speaks of a of an action because <laughs> these are are conjugations that describe verbal action. In Hebrew, verbs are not stuck in time, so there is no past, present, and future tenses in Hebrew. Uh, every statement is true throughout time. Um, so Hebrew as a language is very much like light, where um, they simply exist in time. They're liberated in time as opposed to stuck in time like a physical being. And so with, with the perfect, we have a finite action that is completed either in the past, the present, or the future. 
So if there's one and done, for example, if this said anybody who one time does not answer my invitation is going to be eternally separated, there's nothing you could do. Nothing. It's over because it's one and done. But in the imperfect, it speaks of ongoing and habitual behavior. So ongoing and habitual behavior ceases to be ongoing when you cease doing it. So it does make oh, it things. Makes. Yeah, it makes that, things that, so much easier. Go ahead. That's so changed. I know I was going to say that's so changed when you wrote. Um, well, when you wrote about it, then you put it in a solid book form of the Tablet of Stone. I mean, that so changes everything. Just that one clue. Uh, one clue. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it so, opens up the whole thing. Yeah, it's and it's interesting, of course, with what's called the commandments. There's only one. Of the ten well, that is written in the uh, uh, in in a mood that could even be interpreted as a command, yeah. and yet that mood is actually an almost overwhelmingly an expression of, of uh, free second will. person, yeah, second person volition. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. So if free will, well, second person volition or free will. Uh, it is the one about uh, uh, properly valuing our uh, uh, father and mother. Of course, he's talking about spiritual our mother, heavenly yeah. father and spiritual mother. And when we properly assess them and value them, then our days are prolonged in the land, which is a metaphor for Shamaim. So, God is, as I say, is not rigid in this, in the sense that all you have to do is stop. And you are good to go. Now, turning to the other <laughs> verb, not only does Karath provide for both eventualities, uh, the elimination or the exile of a soul, it offers a contrast. The contrast is that the covenant was established with the same verb. It was Karat, cut. And the reason it was Karat, cut, as opposed to any of the other words in Hebrew that could have been used to convey, um, to make, to offer, to give, to bestow, uh, to establish, is that everything that has value in the Torah is separated unto God, separated from the common things of man, like religion and politics, conspiracy, and separated and set apart onto God. So if you create a division by cutting, you're on one side or the other. The covenant is on God's side of that division. Uh, mankind and religion and politics and those things that are common are on the other side. So the verb speaks of, of both of these things, which makes it uh, considerably richer. Also uh, telling, karat, to cut, or uh, uh, out of, to include or exclude, it was shaded by the niffle perfect. Uh, in this case, the subject, which is the soul, both carries out and receives the result of karat, being cut off at this moment in time. Therefore, whatever fate we receive 
is the one we've chosen. God is really fair in this regard. That's what that stem indicates. Now, there's a lot of challenges in this particular verse, and I want to read it again because it is important that we uh, we get it right, and I don't know if, if this is the right environment to uh, on an audio program to try to explain the gram- grammatical choices that are in it. I don't think that no matter what you do with these choices makes any difference in the meaning of the sentence, but I'm going to read it again because this, this sure. is life and death. That's what this is. This is life and death, particularly if you are a Yisraelite or a Yehud. Truthfully, any soul which by association does not respond during this life-sustaining and essential day, Yom Kippur, that soul will be cut off and either eliminated or separated from being with its family. So just some of the nuances here, and I'll try to highlight them uh, quickly, is that uh, nefesh is a feminine noun. And so it is, uh, if we're talking about it being an object, we would speak of it as it, which is how I rendered it um, for the most part. Uh, but it's in Hebrew, it's, it's referred to as a she. Uh, now, there's a lot of feminine nouns in Hebrew that are applied to masculine individuals. Um, Yahweh. Yahweh is a feminine name applied to Yahweh, our Heavenly Father. Um, Yahuda name of a young man, but it's a feminine name in, uh, in Hebrew. Um, I, I've been writing a lot about uh, Zeroah because uh, there's a fourth one. Um, there's not just Moshe, clearly a man, but Zeroah is a feminine noun in Hebrew. Um, Dod was a Zeroah, Yosha was a Zeroah, and there's a fourth one. So a lot of times there are feminine nouns that are applied to masculine uh, individuals. And in some ways, the purpose of that is to say that even as a man, in fact, especially as a man, you should have some nurturing qualities. You ought to have some empathy. You know, being a man isn't all about pounding your chest and being protective or those things are important. Uh, there is an aspect of uh, Zoroa, for example, where we act as shepherds. We tend to God's flock. We share Yahweh's Torah, which is another feminine noun, sowing the seeds of truth, which take root and souls benefit as descendants grow. That is the fruit of those seeds. So <laughs> There are cases like this. Nefesh happens to be one of them. Could it, could it also? Yes, go ahead. Well, no, could it also be um, because it pertains so much to as a role, for instance, pertains so much to being entwined uh, or so involved with the Ruach Kodesh? I mean, it's her, it's, it is her doing it's so It's like yeah. a well, giant black. You know, when you, when you think about it, uh, you may have a point yeah. because um, I've been translating some uh, passages here about uh, Moshe, and it announces that Moshe, Yashaya, I mean, mm-hmm. Yashaya is very, very fixated on, on the Zoroah, all four mm-hmm. of them. 
In fact, he's more yeah. fixated on the fourth Zoroa than the others, but he uses the earlier Zoroa to, to explain the nature of the fourth Zoroa. And when he's talking about Moshe and the children of Yisrael, uh, he says specifically that the Ruach Kodesh was upon him. So he's talking about all of Israel, but the Ruach Kodesh was on him. He was a Zoroa. Yeah. What yeah, happens what with Dode? Yeah. Yahweh finds Dode. He's eight years old. Uh, he's uh, um, the first thing that, that Shamuel is asked to do is anoint him. And as he is being anointed, Yahweh announces that my Ruach Kodesh came upon him and never left him. Dode is the ultimate Zoroa. Mm-hmm. You know, Yosha has Yahweh's spirit. And we know that Yosha, um, excuse me, Yosha has Yahweh's soul. But we also know that Yosha has Yahweh's Ruach Kodesh because he cites the opening line of Mizmar 22. Mm-hmm. Where he's saying, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Well, it's the soul that's making the declaration, which means the only part of Yahweh that could have left him is the Ruach Kodesh. So Yosha, as the third Zeroah, was clearly covered with the Ruach Kodesh. And so she is the one that is empowering the Zeroah. And then, you know, we look at the fourth Zeroah. Um, Yashaya speaks of, of that fellow in the 11th chapter, where he says specifically... This, this character is so lame, uh, he's not like these other dudes. He, he needs a lot of help. So all seven of the big guns of the Ruach Kodesh are on this fella. God's got a lot to make much, up for. You don't get much help from anybody else. Either. Yeah, man. Yeah, there's nobody else that you got all seven spirits of Yahweh on. But this dude needs some, some serious showing up. Yeah, Love there you go. Gave him all, all seven yards. So uh, we then you know, run into uh, Asher, which in that statement, which was by association. But is it which uh, by association or who by association? When we're talking about a nephesh, that's personal. We would, you know, if I was speaking of your soul, uh, Kirk or, or JB, I, mm-hmm. you know, I would speak of you using a personal pronoun like who, not which. Um, so... It is uh, just part of the grammar that's uh, it's interesting here. The soul in English is sort of an it, but uh, in, uh, in Hebrew, it's written as a her, which could be part of a him. Uh, I guess the, uh, this is uh, the first lesson in transgender. No, it's not a physical thing here. Uh, the same question arises with the verb karath, which was conveyed in third-person feminine singular which we could say it or she when addressing the, um, this either an object, which is the soul or the person with whom the soul resides. I wrote that soul because uh, I thought that probably read better in English. And then we, we come to the end and we're dealing with Am He, uh, which is uh, uh, her family. So the soul that doesn't answer the invitation is either cut off or separated from her family, um, and her family being uh, Yisrael. 
Now, the next challenge, of course, is um, are you being cut off from the covenant family? Yes. Are you being cut off from the people? <clears throat> well, uh, so long as you define people correctly, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, though is almost always used in reference to uh, Yahweh's people, the, uh, the chosen people, uh, uh, Yisrael. Uh, if God's going to speak of people other than Yisrael, rather than Am, family, he's going to use Goy. So Boy. it is, he's still talking about Yisrael, individuals who engage and endure with God. But it can also mean um, related can, community, sometimes ethnicity or nation. Further, pronounced M rather than Am, the same two letters serve as an inclusive uh, Preposition. Well, M means together with and among. Um, I've therefore uh, rendered it uh, um, he is being with uh, its family because I think that's God's thought and it more, more fitting for the kinship of living souls. Well, like you said, a soul is a being of energy. It doesn't really have gender anymore at that point. Mm-mm. Though I do kind of wonder as we... Uh, um, go from um, the, the physical world to the spiritual world. I think we're actually going to retain our gender. I don't think we're going to retain our, uh, uh, in the spiritual world anyway, um, a, a sexuality. But I think we are going to retain uh, gender. I think. Oh yeah. Uh, I think God it's also likes. Also part of your personality. That is correct. It's part of our personality, mm-hmm. who we are, and how we relate to the world and to one another. And and so, you know, I I want to share eternity with my wife, and I, I'd really prefer she stay a woman uh, in that uh, in that relationship. I like dudes, but not as much as I like my wife. Uh, the second uh, part of it, though, is uh, sensuality. Uh, that you know, this thing that God created uh, for all animals to enjoy and particularly in humanity, is just such a, um, a marvelous part of, of what God created. That uh, I'm actually uh, thinking that uh, it may well be possible in uh, the hereafter, be, not as when we are energy-based beings, um, but because as an energy-based being, and E equals MC squared, and an energy-based being being the square of the speed of light times the, well, the square of the speed of light, speed of light times speed of light, a greater than the same amount of, um, of matter, that we should be able to make the transition at, at any point. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's really necessary because how else do we continue to observe Pesach if we can't take physical form? How do we yeah. keep track of time uh, and observe these dates if we can't have some semblance of a of a physical nature from time to time. How do we enjoy interacting with uh, animals as uh, Yahweh and Adam did uh, in the garden if we can't take a physical form? So I, I think we'll be able to, and I, I can't imagine that sensuality will be deprived from uh, those things. Um, so uh, I actually think uh, we will have uh, gender. How far yeah, that yeah. goes? Yeah, I don't know. 
All right, at this point of our review in the Iowa story, it's unlikely, of course, that you'd be here with us unless uh, you're into the details, committed to learning and understanding. So I don't think it's a problem to, um, you know, to get this nitty gritty into what the potentials are with a, a statement particularly uh, this important. Uh, you know, the fact is we're people, we're not machines, and there's a lot that goes along with that. When we consider this presentation now, this is God's presentation of, of Yom Kippur. In the context of its fulfillment, and there are um, two entire prophetic books that are devoted to it, um, the entirety of uh, Zechariah and the entirety of Malachi, the two last prophets. That's all they speak about is the fulfillment of Kippur. The prophet tells us that upon the occasion of Yahweh's return, those who do not revere Yahweh's name, those who do not respect his Shabbat, those who do not embrace his word, they're going to be uprooted and they're going to be severed from the land and the vine. So this is yet another affirmation that God's going to return on this day. Uh, the rabbis are absolutely wrong. It's a mistake that uh, Mamamides made regarding their uh, their year. We are now uh, just what, 12 years away from uh, year 6,000. Yeah. Yep, yeah, 2033 will be year 6,000. Yeah, so it is on the horizon. And let's be clear, because God is being precise. He is not saying as Christians or Muslims profess, obey me or I'll torture you in hell forever. Instead, he is announcing, if you ignore my invitation to resolve our differences, then your current mortal existence is the only life that you're going to experience. And by the way, for those Muslims in Israel that are chanting uh, death to Jews and who are rioting, Destroying the promised land. In my view, you were given one life too many. Your life is, is overwhelmingly counterproductive. You're a net liability on this planet. You don't deserve the promised land. You deserve nothing. And so we have a lot of people on this planet who are net liabilities and not net assets. But God did not say, obey me or I'll torture you in hell forever. Instead, he is announcing, if you ignore my invitations to resolve our differences, then this is the only life you're going to experience. So, if you oppose Yahweh, his people, or his intent, you're going to be held accountable. The consequence of which will be uh, eternal exile. The provision is from God. The choice is ours. I do want to be clear, though, because there is this myth that God just loves everybody and that God is all loving and he's going to come back with open arms. That's not true. As we proceed through the last 10 or so chapters of, of Yasha one of the most prevalent themes is recompense. Uh, Yahweh 
is going to demand recompense. He is going to have closure. Uh, I was reading about uh, families uh, that 10 years ago suffered horrifically when some uh, Islamic suicide bombers, jihadists, in Paris decided to go off and kill a lot of innocent civilians. Uh, one which is still pronouncing, you know, do you have any announcement to make a trial? He says, yes, I am. I am uh, uh, there is but one uh, uh, God, and that is Allah, and Muhammad is his servant, and that I am a servant of the Islamic State was his pronouncement. He was proud of what he had done as a murderer because uh, he's a good Muslim. Um, we, uh, when I was reading these articles, one of the things that resonated is that the families of those people, um, they want closure. They deserve closure. They deserve to know that those who brutalized their children, in fact, one man, um, one of these jihadists, slashed him, and then uh, recruited an ambulance from coming to get him, and he bled to death. Um, all those families of 9-11, they deserve closure. They deserve to know that this was perpetrated by fundamentalist Muslims, and those fundamentalist Muslims that killed 3,000 people on 9-11 have to be held accountable. They can't just slip from... Uh, being mass murderers into nothingness without a penalty. Because to go from life to death is not a penalty. You were given a life, you not only squandered it, your life was counterproductive. And if you have one of those kinds of lives, it isn't fair to those that you have abused. You know, of course, the most glaring would be the, uh, anybody that aided and abetted the Holocaust. Another example would be anybody that aided and abetted the Inquisition. Anybody that aided and abetted the Roman Catholic Church over the 1,500 years that they were the most anti-Semitic and most abusive institution on earth. Anyone who back in the day aided and abetted Rome as it attacked and destroyed Israel not once but three times. Those people, those souls, have to be held accountable or God's not fair. So be aware that those of you today, for example, that are, are mixing your conspiracy theories, and many of you now, your favorite conspiracy is, is uh, anti-vax, and claims of covenant or use of Yahweh's name are anything that, that appears in any one of these books. It's a consequence for that. You are leading people astray. You're discrediting this work that yeah, Yahweh right. has authorized and inspired. And you're going mm-hmm. to be held accountable unless you stop. So accountability is a big deal with God. And because he's fair, because he's just, because he is moral. You know, if we didn't have accountability, can you imagine how many thieves there would be? How many uh, you know, liars there would be? How many cheats there would be? I mean, nothing would be safe if we didn't have a legal system and held people accountable. And we're immoral beings. 
God's not. God is perfectly moral. Now, what's interesting, of course, of retribution while we're on this subject is that God never works alone. Ever. You know, his return, he is going to uh, influence the universe and his children through a man forevermore. Dote. Dote is king of kings forever. So God has chosen to work through even a human being in this regard, his son, the Messiah. But in achieving recompense, God has picked an individual that he said that, that individual is, is going to um, going to carry it out. So, um, important to know that there is a consequence of, of this behavior. And also it's important to know that, that well, God's going to be fair. And so the person who tortured, brutally tortured, trying to agonize uh, and prolong the suffering and death and humiliation of Jews during the Inquisition, that what they're going to suffer is going to be at least seven times what they imposed. But keep in mind that at this point, they're not physical beings. So the agony they're going to feel is going to be imposed on their nephesh souls. So this is not a gruesome scene, but it is a scene where those who are victimized know that those who abuse them are finally been held accountable. This was something I was very, very uncomfortable with until about two years ago, and I understood God's need to do it. And now I've gone from saying, let's go, let's go do it. I, I get it now. Uh, it has to be that way. And I don't expect everybody to agree with me now. It's a, uh, it's a, that's a hard thing for most of us to think that between now and the time that we deal with forever, there's a period of accountability. But there is. Uh, you know, God doesn't go from Kapuram to Sukkah in a nanosecond. It's five days. It's five days. And that five days as a spiritual being can be extended however long is necessary to get this accomplished. But... The set-apart spirit is the, uh, is the power and the enlightenment um, and the force behind the person carrying out the retribution. So, um, you know, they're, they're, and I'm sure they're going to have every malak that's available as part of the, uh, the job, so it, uh, it'll get done uh, in that five days. Yeah. Now... The integrated fabric of the Torah and Prophets conveys a consistent message. Forgiveness and reconciliations are gifts granted by Yahweh. They're not for everybody. Therefore, those who think that they can provide for themselves, well, for those of you that are trying to be kosher, that are, won't get in an airplane because it is the Shabbat, won't even turn on a light bulb, it wouldn't save somebody. Well, there is a less desirable option. 
and any soul which, by association, continually attempts to perform any part of the work, asha kol, malaka, of the malaka, the spiritual counselor and maternal messenger. Malaka is heavenly envoy and feminine representative. It's from malak, spiritual messengers, the feminine of malak. During this life-sustaining and essential, we're still on Kaporum, uh-huh. that specific and individual soul, F ha nefesh ha hu, everything associated with this person and their consciousness, the, the aspect of this individual, God says, I will eliminate such that it ceases to exist from being around the family or striving against the community of living souls. This is Kareb Amhu. Kara called out Leviticus, I hate to say that name, 2320. Now, this is a decree against religion, not work. God loves work. You know, the day that's most special to him, he's not saying, yo, this day, you can't do squat. What? What is the very thing that he said about Adam and the garden? Because we're returning to the garden. We're coming full circle back to the garden. What did he tell us about Adam, the very first thing about Adam in the garden? He brought Adam to do what? In the garden. To take care of it. To work it. it. Right. Keep it going. To work there. Because... When we stop working, we lose our sense of value. We're not making a contribution. We're not contributing anything to anybody. God loves work. He's constantly mm-hmm. underscoring the value of work. So he's not taking his most important day and saying, don't do this thing that I'm telling you is so important to who you are and who I am. Moreover, the English translations that say, you know, don't do any of your ordinary work, as if Asha was ordinary and then Malaka was work, or as if Asha was work and Malaka was work, so it's don't do any work work. Work work. <laughs> yeah, we did. When I just... You've got to be so blind not to, uh, not to see the obvious. There isn't any lexicon that, that shares roots that doesn't tell you that Malacca is from Malak. And that's true. And, and they all do. And what's interesting about that is, for the most part, the uh, lexicons and dictionaries that do share roots – share verbal roots. They're not nearly as keen on sharing the root of a noun if it isn't a verb, because in Hebrew and most ancient languages, the actionable uh, concept, the verbal concept, because it's so visual and so, uh, uh, you know, it's got like our whole memories. I don't know if you know this, but the the trick to transitioning from a short-term memory to a long-term memory is, uh, is to see something in action. 
So if you, somebody tells you your name and then you create a caricature that's moving uh, around that person's face or image, the movement, the, the action is what makes that transition for you. Um, but this is a non-actionable uh, concept at the root, which is malak. And malak means messenger. It uh, is used to describe Yahweh's heavenly implements, his spiritual messengers. Uh, so a counselor, uh, if you were, if you will. But it is, it is feminine. So I happen to know one of those. Got seven of them dancing around all, all over me saying, hey, stupid. This is, this is here. This is me. Pay attention. So God is not asking his people not to work. He is endeavoring to re- tell us to don't replace the role of the Mikre or the Malaka. That's his job. You know, we ought not try to be the Passover lamb. You know, when Christians wrote, pick up your cross and follow me. What a stupid idea. <laughs> did you miss the point of the story? He did it you so missed we don't the whole, have to. Right, you missed the whole point of the story. And, and by the way, the, the cross was a Roman torture device. Oh my, that's what my God wants, man. I guess that God, he must have been a rabbi. Pick up that torture stick. And follow me. You ought to be tortured just like I was tortured. That's going to work out really well for you. You'll you'll fit right in with the rabbinical type at uh, Yom Kippur. No. Not what God's saying. He says, don't do that stuff. What what did the Malacca do on uh, on Pesach? Hardest thing in the world. Separate yourself. From Yahweh's soul. Because what? That's the whole concept of Sheol, the place of separation. That's, mm-hmm. that's the penalty that she removed from us by having Yahweh's soul endure it. So when Yahweh's soul was separated from his spirit, that's the, that's the entire concept of the place of separation of Sheol. He wouldn't even have had to go to Sheol to experience the penalty because the penalty is separation from Yahweh. My God, my God, why have you separated yourself from me? Read the 22nd Mismar. We're not making this stuff up. That's what it says. That's the whole concept of, uh, of this. That is the Malacca. Don't do that. May I interject a little something? Sure. Uh-huh. On the Malacca, on Malacca, one of the things that I found on the Malacca, rather than just like the Malacca, is a uh, spiritual being, of course, but it walks, uh, one of the older definitions, it walks or it travels for another, or one who walks with a protected staff in hand. Well, there's an actionable route, a halak, uh, uh-huh. to keep your memory there. They're always, I mean, look what they did with Lot. Yeah. They show up and they walk and eat with. Uh, Adam, I mean Abraham, they walk right. here, they walk there, mm-hmm. they're always uh, engaged in action. So um, there's your actionable route, if you like, to connect yes. the uh, connect right. the idea. So. Well, there is a Lamed in uh, Malacca, right? That's 
right? Second letter, yeah. Malacca, is a lament, which is a shepherd's staff. And the last letter mm-hmm. of Malacca is a person standing indeed. up and walking. Indeed. Correct? Walking, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, there's also a mem, and what is the mem? Symbolica of water, uh, the source of life and cleansing. That is the yeah. symbol of the spirit, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And it moves. Right. And you've got a cough, which is the open hand of, uh, of God. Uh-huh. And it has movement, too, up and down. Right. So you know, you've, you've got it all there. It's, 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 um, yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, all the, all the definitions are good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. So in Judaism, um, there is no consensus on the mortality of a soul. Uh, I'm telling you, with Yahweh, eh, he's not so confused. Souls can die. Uh, despite what uh, Yahweh conveys, rabbis do not accept the ideas I've shared with you of Sheol, hell, serving as a place of eternal separation and thus punishment for what they have done to mislead Yahweh's people. Now, that's no surprise. I don't think I would want to admit there's a Sheol if God said you're going there. Uh, so uh, I get it why they don't admit it. Not going to change anything, but nonetheless, I understand. Similarly, there is no consensus in Judaism on salvation or even of heaven, with uh, rabbis speaking of the redemption of Jews as a race through the religion. That's their concept of salvation. To explain away their miserable lives, they claim that their G-D deliberately punishes the most righteous of them. So that by comparison, whoever follows, whatever follows, will seem better. And I kid you not. And so, you know, that the most miserable person uh, must be the most righteous. I guess it was an honor to to... to Go to Auschwitz then, according to the rabbis. You know, the Hashem of I'd Judaism. I'd rather not be so honored. Yeah, nor me. You know, the Hashem of Judaism is as perverted as the rabbis. In the previous chapters, by the way, so is the, uh, the Jesus of Christianity. A, uh, a god who would create an inferior being to worship them is um, deranged. That's a disgusting individual. Uh, I mean, I'm a long way. The distance between me and a garden slug is much smaller. In my case, it's, you know, it's probably uh, two nanoseconds worth of difference. But the, the difference between me and a garden slug is much less than the difference between me and God. And, and if I could create a garden slug, which, of course, I'm incapable of doing, uh, and I could program that garden slug to uh, tell me uh, 24-7, oh, Craig, you are just the best. I just, uh, you are a handsome dude. You are, uh, you are funny. You are just the, the best in the world. I love you dearly. You know, after about yeah, three seconds of that garden slug burping out that rubbish, listen, step away. 
When somebody I respect say, you know, I really appreciate you. You're a great guy. I, I, I'm so grateful that you've done this, that, and the other thing. I say, blah, 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 please, don't, don't do that. I don't, like, I don't like praise, even if, it, even if it's genuine. But, you know, another analogy and that's, that and that's so close now with artificial intelligence. It's like you programmed an artificial intelligence to right. just walk around and tell you how great you are all day. Yeah. That would get annoying. <laughs> if that didn't get annoying, then uh, you're a, a probably a narcissist, narcissist. And, a, and, a, and a psychopath. And if God wanted us to do that, he'd be a narcissist and a psychopath. Mm-hmm. So this idea of worshiping God is absolute rubbish. It's so demeaning and degrading to, uh, to God. Now, we previously detailed the, uh, the nature, and, and the malacca comes up all through it. In fact, the malacca is God's just in his preamble, uh, talking about chag matzah which is Pesach, Matzah, and Bakotam. As God's talking about Chag Matzah, he introduces us to the Malacca. In fact, before he entered, even begins his, his presentation of what the day represents, he's telling us about the Malacca. The Malacca is integrated into this presentation of the Moed Mikra and, the, and what God is saying, just as she exists right here in Kapuram. It's a direct tie-in to the Isha, which we're asked to come into the presence of, of, the, of God's fiery light, the feminine manifestation of that light. Well, the Malaka, we're saying, okay, you, you, you do that. She's going to adorn you in a garment of light. Don't, don't do what the rabbis do and go put on a black jacket, a black coat and black pants and a black hat. You, know, you can't do that job. She's really good at it, and you're crappy at it. Now, it is irrefutable that Malacca is the feminine of Malak, spiritual messenger. Uh, the ah ending is makes the word feminine. She represents the uh, maternal aspects of Yahweh's persona, which are obviously significant because Yahweh's name is also feminine, also known as the Ruach Kodesh, set-apart spirit. The Malaka is particularly active during the Moed Mikre, right from the very beginning, in fact, before the beginning. The Malaka represents Yahweh's interest by serving us. Abad, uh, I rendered, uh, uh, I will eliminate such an individual um, that's, uh, such that they cease to exist. Uh, it's the best possible outcome, actually, for those who would contravene the, the work of the Malacca. With Abad conveying, I will exterminate and wipe away, causing to perish, annihilate, and destroy, it reinforces everything I will revealed in the previous statement using karath, eliminated or separated. So God has put us on notice that a religious soul is a squandered soul. It has no value. It will either be taken away and disappear, or it will be driven from mortality to endure immortality 
in an entirely different place. Also reinforced were our conclusions regarding um, uh, he, which being that being with the family among the community and kinship of living souls at the conclusion of the previous statement, uh, Kara 2329. This realization is taken one step further in Kara 2330 with men karab amhi. So from being around the family and away from striving against the community of living souls. God does not want his children exposed to the religious. We're going back to Eden. How many denominations of Christianity and uh, of Judaism were there in Eden? Zero. Zero. Zero, zero. How many political parties were there in, uh, in Eden? Not a one. Yeah, blue yeah. and white, Likud? Uh, I don't think so. No. No. Uh, United Torah, Israel? No, 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 no. No political parties? No religious sects? Were there any conspiracies in uh, Eden? I, I don't think so. No. Any anti-Semites? No. I don't think so. No. No Muslims either. Were there any uh, socialist secular humanists? No. Only no. 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 Uh, I bet you since um, everybody seems to think that God is blessing our troops, there must have been troops there. Mm-hmm. No. What concept? No. Uh, as uh, much as liberals are against walls, surely there weren't any walls there, were there? Yeah, God is protective. He, he wants to separate that which is his from that which is not. Now, during our review of Hosea's, Hosea's prophecies regarding Yisrael and Yahudah, um, we'll end up devoting an entire chapter to the realization that there are three unique and vastly different outcomes awaiting human souls. At that time, you know, absolute proof, at least I think it's absolute proof, is provided to confirm that some souls will live forever with Yahweh in Shamaim. Some souls will endure eternity in Sheol with Hasatan and all of his rabbinical buddies incarcerated within a black hole, uh, you know, the, the old story, a priest and a rabbi walk into a bar. Yeah, that's going to be Sheol. <laughs> but, but most souls will follow. Uh, somebody turn off the lights. Um, most souls will follow man's artificial and unreliable, albeit popular path towards their dissolution, which remains the primary outcome depicted in these statements. According to the Torah teaching, and hundreds more like it, this one tells us that the fate of a soul is determined based upon whether a person has listened to Yah and responded appropriately. Those who ignore the summons and try to save themselves will find death to be the end of life. But those who deceive, those who corrupt Yahweh's message and tell people such thing as God wants us to be afflicted, disturbed, and oppressed, 
existing in a state of anxiety and distress, bending down and being miserable and wretched, well, you're going to get what you uh, what you want. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna, that's what you're going to get. You like it, you got it. You yeah. like it, you got it. God's fair. They will spend eternity in a lightless prison designed for similarly religious individuals. Rabbinical thought on life and either heaven or hell is muddled, to say the least. To their credit, rabbis associated their Talmudic olam ha-ba uh, in the forever, errantly rendered the world to come. I mean, they, they can't say shamaim, they can't say covenant family, they can't say with Yahweh, so it is the olam ha-ba, the world to come. Wow with a return to the Gani Dan. The thought is that a soul exists in a disembodied state until the time of a bodily resurrection in the days of the uh, Messiah. They don't know who the Messiah is. And yeah, Judaism actually does believe in a bodily resurrection because you've got to have a body in a physical world. And yeah. how in the world are you going to have all of those restrictive rules if you don't have bodies? The best Talmudic story I could find in which the world to come appears to refer to an afterlife tells of uh, Rabbi Joseph, who is the son of Rabbi Joshua, then Levi, who uh, dies and then returns back to life. So his father, I, I, I'm not making this stuff up. This is, this is what is their explanation. So his father asked him, and the father doesn't say, hey, son, it's good to have you back. Now, father asked him, what did you see? And he replied, I beheld a world the reverse of this one. Those who were on top were below there and vice versa. He, Joshua ben Levi, said to him, my son, you have seen a corrected world. Talmud, Bavli, Pashim 50 LF. That's the closest they get. Google it sometime. You know, the afterlife. And uh, this is the best story I could find in rabbinic Judaism. And uh, that makes about as much sense as anything I've ever seen. What that's basically saying is this world that God created is the opposite of what's good. And so to correct, to have a correct world, you have to have the opposite of what God created. Pretty special, huh? Okay. Wait, does that mean uh, the Jews should be disrespecting the rabbis rather than giving them the seat of honor at the dinner table? I think so. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> very good. Yeah. Uh, you know who actually gets the seat of honor at the not dinner, be dinner table? should not be going to synagogue. Yes, and they're they're not going to like this very much. But you know, the uh, seat of honor at the uh, dinner table for uh, at Jews is uh, the place is set for Elia. Yeah. And little do they know, Elia is actually coming back at at Passover. Indeed. <laughs> Just that That's first thing he's going to do, yeah, is lambast uh, rabbis and uh, and Judaism. So. <sighs> This is neither clear nor credible, what's, uh, what's in the Talmud. But uh, 
it was the best I could find. All of the tedium involved in being uh, Hasidic hardly seems the seems worth the effort, does it? Hmm. Not at all. No. I'm By the way, and before, yeah, I don't get it either. Since our decision to accept, reject, or ignore Yahweh's invitation to reconcile our relationship as life and death, acceptance or expulsion, Yahweh decided that uh, warning us twice was uh, not enough, and therefore he reemphasizes this cause and consequence a third time. This now is the 31st statement of the 23rd chapter of Kara. Do not consistently or habitually, must be written in the imperfect, right? Attempt mm-hmm. to perform the work. Lo, asha. Do not continually reassign that which is associated with accomplishing the service, engaging to do or profit from the endeavors of, called imperfect, pertaining to any association with, coal. The Malacca, the spiritual counsel and maternal messenger. This is an eternal and everlasting, clearly communicated and inscribed prescription for living. Chuka, throughout your generations in every situation and dwelling place. So do you think that God said, do not do any work work? This is an eternal, clearly communication for all ge- generations and, and places. Don't do any work work or just don't engage in any work. In fact, since this is no not tied to the day, this is just a general statement. This is not tied to Yom Kippur. There is no reference to the essential day here. There's no reference to Kippurim here. Yes, presented in the context of it. But it simply says, if you were to translate Malachi as work, do not do any work or work. This is an eternal or everlasting communication. Well, you know, God bless them, those Hasidic Jews, they got it right. They don't work. <laughs> if that were the correct translation. But they've nailed it. They uh, sit around all day acting religious and expect the uh, the state to cover every aspect of their lives. They don't work. Because they've read this as don't do any work work. Did uh, you uh, spend any time around uh, Malacca in your, uh, in your studies uh, during the week, uh, Kirk? Well, a little bit. I mean, the, the thing that was interesting, though, about this is... is uh, I went to all the, uh, all the uh, besides the um, um, Masoretic texts, all the Christian things, and they all they all say exactly the same thing. They just can't get over this. They, um, <laughs> well, the Christians, they the just Christians won't let it be. A, they won't let it be a, spirit, uh, a spiritual counselor. Well, you know, they won't let it be a lot. The Christians make no attempt to be experts in Hebrew. That's not their thing. And the Christians don't. don't you want, even mention it; they immediately go to the Greek and the New Testament oh, and all that. They they don't want to have anything yeah. to do with that old. Testament. They don't want anything to do with it. And they want the Torah to be as mean spirit as as Jews have rendered it. Yeah. Right. Because then 
then they, there's a reason for Paul to have buffed things up and say, hey, that's all mean-spirited. we got a new plan. So, you know, not doing any work work is, is just fine with them. And the whole idea of afflicting oneself, that's just fine with them. Because that's for the Jews. It's not yeah. for the rest of us. And that's, of course, for them, it's not even for the Jews because uh, the uh, God doesn't annul all of it. But the words here are not complicated. Uh, no, the lo- joke is... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, lo asa. Asa is... I, I, I'm betting that as a verb, asa is rendered four, five, six hundred times. Uh, we typically uh, render asa... Uh, engage in, act upon. You know, it means to do, to work, to accomplish, to assign, to contribute, do, but it's acting and engage in. And Malacca, there is absolutely nothing associated with Malacca that should get you to work. Mm. There are four or five Hebrew words for work. And Malacca is not one of them. But Malacca is clearly from Malacca. And Malacca is, yes, uh, it's, I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of times Malacca appears in the Torah and Prophets, but um, a lot. Hundreds upon hundreds of times. These these are not complicated terms. And Malacca is defined in context. So, uh, the Chuka. should you be confused as to what Chuka is, go read the 119th Psalm. I mean, Dode yeah. says yeah, there's four things you've got to understand about the Torah. And one of them is Chuka. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, Bakat, Chuka, uh, Mishpat, and Mitzvah are the four things. Yeah. He says, if, if you've got those four things down uh, regarding the Torah, then you've got it framed. Chuka is an inscribed, uh, mm-hmm. cut in, so engraved and inscribed mm-hmm. prescription for living that cuts you into a relationship. Yeah. It's, well, I look at it like it was to be. You know, if, you, if Chuka is prescription for living, and if they're cut and engraved, then, you, of course, you, you know where those you find those. But if it and, it and it separates and protects by the letters, I mean, at least the root does, mm-hmm. and the person who's standing up and is engaged, if you like, chuka with mm-hmm. the A-H sound, and you've mm-hmm. got, uh, say, I look at it like this is the process. We mm-hmm. get to celebrate these wonderful parties, mm-hmm. we're not, and, but, but the reason we're there is, you know, it's good to say thank you and appreciate what y'all was done. I mean, um, so, I mean, and it's... Uh, and if we're going to blow the horn or wave the thing or do what we do on, on Fridays, at least we get to do that. Uh, uh, but And when we share with family and so forth. So um, it just doesn't translate the way everybody translates. How can everybody miss that? Well, I, I think I, did, I, think I didn't know some... to look up all these things. I didn't know how to look up all these things when I started. You know, I just, you know, so I'm just going, wow. Yeah, I'm in the midst of rewriting uh, Introduction to God. And, and by the way, there, mm-hmm. the... Uh, yeah, that's the Moed, good too, by yeah, the Moed. Uh, thank you. The, the Moed uh, chapter is uh, or volume is now posted on Yada Yah. Uh It's also available at uh, Amazon.com. So I think there's 19 volumes now that uh, are available, maybe 20. 
uh, through Amazon.com, and they're all presented on the Yada Yada website. Um, and right now, I am uh, writing volume one of an introduction to uh, to God. And uh, I don't know if I'll just leave it at volume one and then add Torah to it, which would be two more volumes, or put Torah into, into Yada. I haven't made that decision yet. But as I'm writing it, one of the things that I'm, I'm doing is is going through what um, – uh, how important it is to get the words God communicated right and how there are no translations that do so. And this is just such a glaring case because these words are very common. There's not a, there's not a single word in this declaration that is difficult to understand, um, nor in the previous one, nor in the one before that. And so why is it that they all get it wrong. And what I have surmised is that, and business, one of the things you know is that familiarity sells. You know, why does Nike pay athletes tens of millions of dollars to wear their swoosh? Why do you see the swoosh on, on team jerseys and just nothing more? Because Nike knows that if you're familiar with this swoosh and if it's associated with something that believe in, that you're going to view it favorably. So these English translations. That's the whole reason McDonald's came up with kids' playgrounds. They knew if they got them young, you put in. They get. They associate those golden arches with good times, good feelings. Right. People will keep coming back. Right. And the golden arches are everywhere. So it is. It's about familiarity. And so when when somebody says, "I'm going to create and market a new translation," if everything about it was unfamiliar, because you've chosen to translate it accurately from the Dead Sea Scrolls, you'd have no customers. You'd have no customers. You know, it's, it's like uh, you, you could take the royalties of, of everything that I've earned thus far of 20 years of translating. And you may be able to go to McDonald's and, uh, and, and, and buy something from the dollar meal. But that's is, why you got to give your translations away. No one's willing. That to is correct. Them. You have to give them away because nobody. But even then, people talk. don't want to read them. That's right. It's just the way it is. That familiarity sells, and there's nothing as unfamiliar as Yahweh and His testimony. It is the opposite. Mouthful there. Yeah, it's the opposite of common. Um, and so, a common Bible oh, translation is the opposite of God's testimony, the opposite of what God said. And to, to convey what he communicated, you have to risk um, having people judge you and say, I can't believe that you can be right and everybody else is wrong. Well, don't believe. Yeah. Go verify it for yourself. Yeah. Yep. Well, Fourteen years have proven that you you can, and they and they are wrong. Yeah, you you can. It you can verify it for yourself. You know, we're making oh, a big yeah. claim here about uh, Malacca. So care. go look it up, yeah. and don't use just one uh, lexicon. Yeah, you're going to look up Malacca, and the first thing you're going to see is work, or ordinary work, or some notion like that, and then see what the justifications are for that, and then look at what they say it's based on. And you'll see that it's based on Malak, and Malak has nothing to do with work. It has to do with being a spiritual being, a spiritual messenger. 
Mm-hmm. In fact, they don't. Um, all these lexicons on Malak, <clears throat> they're unwilling to say heavenly representative or spiritual messenger. Uh, what they say instead is angel. Just yeah. to show you the influence new, here. New of, yeah, the yeah. influence of Christianity because the Septuagint translates um, Malak as uh, Agelos because Agelos is the Greek word for messenger. So it's not like the Greeks didn't know that Malak meant messenger. They used the Greek word for messenger, and the nincompoops in Christianity, rather than translate Agelos as messenger, they transliterated it as angel. Mm-hmm. Lost the meaning. When they, when they just twisted some more. God, <laughs> just twisted some more. But that's how people get, uh, get lost. And the truth is found by being observant. That is by design. God doesn't want the nincompoop who is willing to believe their rabbi making life miserable for us in heaven. So he's just not going to allow it. I was having a conversation with someone the other day, and they were like, well, you go through all this complex stuff, and what about the ordinary person? Now, how does the ordinary person come to know God? And I'm like, no offense, but I honestly don't think God wants a relationship with ordinary people. You know, That's the whole, well, none of us are special, but we're not ordinary. We're willing to put forth the effort right. to go into this depth and look into it. That's yeah, We're willing to do effort. God wants that. He doesn't want the ordinary person who's just sitting well, there going, I don't know, tell me what to do. Yeah, well, yeah. He, he, well, first of all, you, you, just proved, you just proved the point that uh, God has been making. First of all, he likes work work. <laughs> the more mm-hmm. work work we do in his word – the more reward we get. The more we're going to understand, the more we're going to know, the better the relationship is going to be. He is all mm-hmm. for work, work. And second, God is trying to um, karat Cut out to us. Yeah. He Cut wants out. us separated. You know, it's the Ruach uh-huh. Kodesh, the set-apart spirit. Uh, God is trying to, and in fact, he's constantly telling us that he is disassociating from the common. And so you're absolutely right. He doesn't want the common man, the common woman, the average person to spend eternity with him. He wants special people. He wants Kodesh people. And the way that you go from common to Kodesh is by understanding the imperfect. And you stop doing the common and you start doing the uncommon. You stop believing your common religious translation, and you stop start actually considering the words that God conveyed and their meanings. This is this is how you go from. Well, it's not even like it's a lot of work. I mean, there's some effort that is required, but it's not excessive. I mean, it's there to be found. All you have to do is look. Yes. Yeah, I think it's I, I, it's, it's enough work. To uh, to be a filter, to be a um, yeah a sieve, if you will. <clears throat> so there there is some work. You you've got to put in the effort. And if you don't put in the effort, why would God want to spend time with you? God likes people and that uh, the put more in effort, the effort you put into it, the more effort y'all puts into it. The more He engages you. You know mm-hmm. we uh, we have 
stories of a lot of people in the Torah. <clears throat> Who are the three people in the Torah that um, put in the most work? Uh, Moshe certainly did a lot. Moshe, Moshe Dode, 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 and Noah worked like You look at uh, two the, one of the lives that is that is detailed extraordinary life would be um, uh, Samuel. Another yeah. one who put in enormous amount of work would be Yashiyah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you consider the work not from the, the words, but the job that was done, uh, Yosha, yeah, sure. right wow. up there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, God likes work. He likes Somebody those works. who are invested. Um, so, you know, he obviously liked Dode, and boy, at Dode, he was going all the time. And matter of fact, when Dode finally just settled down and stopped uh, work working, and that's when mm-hmm. his relationship with the Yah began to falter. Mm-hmm. Yes. In fact, the worst decision that Dode ever made. <clears throat> you know, uh, Yama said, you know, I'm going to give you three options here uh, based upon Oh, mistakes that, yes, that yes. Yeah. And Dode said, no, I can't, I can't endure it anymore. I, just, I can't put in the effort. I ain't got it. <clears throat> I, I don't have it. And it was the worst decision he ever made in his life because he caused others to die because he wasn't able, wasn't willing to put in the work anymore. Uh, I, it's a mistake that he'll never make again. And sometimes, you know, we, we need to do that. We need to make our mistakes so that we, we don't repeat them. So, <clears throat> boy, there's a lot to, uh, to learn here. And we're, we have just started on Kaporum. Um, you know, and and it is let's say it's the most extraordinary day in all time. It is the happiest day for Yahweh of his entire existence because he's finally reconciling his relationship with his people. The battle is finally over. And he knows that recompense is going to be taken care of and so we no longer have that burden. He's got no one needs to yell at it anymore. This is the happiest day in all of time for God. And um, I think there's five chapters in it. I mean, it became, they're long chapters, too. There's, there's a lot that uh, we can uh, learn, and, and particularly in the pr- prophetic portrayals as we get into Zachariah, and God sets up Kippurim, Right from the beginning, um, you know, he tells us the story of the witnesses, and they are the story of Kippurim. Because without the witnesses, there is no Kippurim. Without what we're doing now, there is no Kippurim. I mean, right now, if you were to total all of the Yehudim, natural-born, <coughs> ethnic Jews, who are aware of Yahweh's name who are aware of the terms and conditions of the covenant, who are aware of his seven invitations and what they mean, and who are accepting of all of that, you know, you can count them on a few hands. There is no Kippurim unless we do our job. There's no Kippurim without the witnesses. And so Yahweh goes right through it. 
There is no kaporum without the blood being sprinkled on the mercy seat. Mercy seat, yeah. And there are no um, priests anymore. So God goes through the process of telling us uh, that he's going to, that's the whole purpose of the story of Yosha in the middle of all of this, is that he is saying, you're, you're, you're right, uh, Yosha and the guys around him, they're, they're, they're terrible. No question. So we're, we, the only thing we can do is, is dress him up, and then he, the person he's dressing up is Dode. Dode is going to be dressed so that he can act as the priest on our behalf to sprinkle the blood of the uh, of the goat on the, the mercy seat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's actually a goat. Okay, yeah. No, uh, yeah, the goat, goat in that case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but he's going to have Dode dressed. So that story is in there for that reason. Uh, there's so much to it, so many insights as to what's going to happen between now and then. And then, you know, after you deal with everything that that uh, Zachariah has to say and everything that Malachi has to say, and then we turn to the last ten chapters of Yeshayah, and there we are again. And the fact is, if we turn to some of the, the final chapters of Yermiah, where Yah was pleading with his people to come out of Babylon. We're there again. Ezekiel, we're there again. So, wow. it's everywhere. This is, the, this is the day of days. This is the biggest event in the history of time. The Yom Kippurim. And what's interesting is that Yom Kippurim isn't for everybody. I mean, all we are is the troubadours for Yom Kippurim. Mm-hmm. We're writing the sign, holding up the sign, uh, not sparing our voices, trying to get Jews to walk away from Judaism, to disown their politics, to accept the covenant, to answer the invitations for the Moed, to respect and honor Yahweh's name. We're pleading with Jews to do that because Kippurim is this life and death choice for Yisrael and Yehuda. That is what it's for. And even the racial uh, Yehudim that are part of the covenant family now, you're trying to encourage God's people, fellow Yehudim and Yisraelites, to accept Yahweh. There's a huge part of this is just coming to embrace Yahuda and Yisrael. Uh, Jews, by calling themselves Jews and Jewish, have severed their relationship with Yahweh. Yeah. They aren't any longer Yahud and Yahudi. Mm-hmm. But they can be. And second, they, they aren't Yisrael, at least in the positive sense. There's two potential meanings of Yisrael. Those who uh, strive and fight against the Almighty, uh, which they represent beautifully. And, of course, those who engage and endure and are empowered by and freed by God. 
but it's becoming those things again uh, that um, makes corporum possible. And then once we're reconciled, we can camp out with Yah and uh, Sukkah, and we come full circle back to the Garden of Eden, um, where, again, there's no government, there's no religion, there's um, no politics, there's no conspiracies. That's what we're headed towards. So anyway, I, I um, want to conclude by saying that if you are a Yehud, and we recorded this message in the beginning of the fall, just after Teruah and 2021, only 12 years left. And you really don't have all of those years because a lot of things are going to happen. We're, we're entering a very dark time. There are going to be horrendous climactic events around the world. It's going to take a lot of lives, change the world as we know it. This pandemic we're in is going to continue, and it's going to get far worse. There's going to be complete economic collapse. There'll be the great reset of currencies that will change the control mechanism of the world beyond what you can even comprehend. Conspiracy is going to continue to stupefy people and become the world's largest religion. Anti-Semitism is on the rise, and it will continue to be linked to conspiracy. Muslims will be ever more enraged, seeking a genocidal solution for Jews in Israel. Nations are going to force Israel to give up the West Bank, making the nation indefensible. A world war is going to come out of it with Sunni Islam, Europe, and the United States on one side, Shia Islam, which would include Iran and Hezbollah, now Iraq and Syria, along with China and Russia on the other side. Only one out of every three Jews is even going to survive to the last days, and there's going to be a higher percentage of Jews spared to the last days than in the other race. The time of Jacob's troubles is will soon be upon us. Uh, it will begin in earnest around 2030. And you're going to have very few lifelines. So if you're listening to this message, act now. Even God says, take advantage of me where I can still be found. Mm-hmm. You know, approach me where, where I am still near. As he says, you know, I'm not going to futz with you. He didn't use the term futz, but it's, it, it's loosely translated as futz. I'm not going to futz with you all that long. I'm tired of futzing with you. You know, and, and I'm going to withdraw my spirit. And there's no other way to know God other than through his spirit and through his words. And your nasalma, your ability to think, it's fading fast. So if you're listening to this, go to yadayad.com. The whole bookshelf, by the time hopefully that you're listening to this, will have an intro to God right there at the beginning. 
And there's something in that intro to God that I don't think is all that important for Goyim, but it's really important for Yehudim, for Jews. It's, um, it's essentially two chapters that are, why you, why me? Why me, yeah. And the why you is that, that nobody comes to God on their own initiative. God invites those into his family that he wants to spend eternity with. If you're a goyim, you're going to have to have something that God really finds interesting for him to reach out to you and to introduce himself so that you can come to know him. But what's amazing about being ethnically Jewish is that you have an open invitation. It's always there. And the rest of it is, why me? Why only communicating through Yisrael and particularly Yehudim all of this time? Why did he switch and choose Anakar, an observant foreigner? Why did he go to a Goyim? Why did he have to stoop so low to awaken his people? And we will systematically, over the course of about 150 pages or so, listen to what God has to say about what it is about these books, yada, yada, these series of books. What it is about these programs that God has specifically endorsed, authorized, inspired, announced in explicit detail because there isn't anything else like it. Because this is your last and best hope. And we hope you listen. We hope you act. We hope you engage. We hope you learn what God is offering and what he expects from you in return. To come to know him by name and accept him by covenant, and meet him by Mikre, as you are guided by Torah. Well, may Yahweh bless you. Um, we look forward to being with you next uh, Shabbat. Yeah. Uh, gentlemen, we've got uh, um, a celebration of Yom Kippurim uh, on the uh, horizon, uh, 10 days from whenever you celebrated. Uh, Teruah, as for uh, mm-hmm. me, I celebrated on Wednesday night. Uh, you know why? Yeah. They, of course, the, the reason that um, um, it's done that way is Teruah is a, uh, is a Shabbaton. And uh, religious Jews don't like the idea of, uh, of having a, um, a natural Shabbat and a Shabbaton be day-to-day. Because it uh, you know it messes up uh, their their lifestyle because you know they try to prepare everything so they don't have to do any work work and it's so much work work to not do any work work over two days so <laughs> they jury rig it so um, there was nothing wrong with celebrated on Tuesday of this week uh, we celebrated on Wednesday evening was our uh, preference but uh-huh. whether it's Tuesday or Wednesday. Your uh, your next uh, invitation to meet with God is ten days uh, thereafter. Um, so 
we uh, we're in the midst of uh, Yom Kippur. I'm a, we may end up doing a full years of program by the time we finish Kippur. We may Kippur next year. <laughs> Maybe Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur. Yeah, we may, we may be. But it's a big deal for Yah, and there's a lot uh, at stake. And and while our lives are consumed with Teruah, uh, we only Teruah for Kippurim. So the more we we explain Kippurim, the better we're doing Teruah, right? So, Absolutely. So we may spend a year Teruahing about uh, Kippurim, and and we've got plenty of time to Sukkah. That's so a lot of the you can always go It takes care of itself. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. Happy Shabbat to one and all. Look forward to being with you uh, next week. May Yah bless you all. Good night. Good, good night, y'all. Shalom.